Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Welcome to church. Glad you're here. Welcome to everyone who's watching online. Thanks so much for tuning in. We love you. Uh, I got to say, I'm happy to be here. I'm grateful for the opportunity to preach any and every time I, and he allows me to. And so this is a... I'm excited for this morning. This morning's gonna be fun. I hope you're I hope you're ready and excited. Before we begin, I just want you to know two things. One, I just really love you. I love this place. I was praying for you this morning, and I just so believe God has something wonderful for us today, wonderful for you. So whether it's your first time, whether you've been here many times, I want you to be encouraged. You're in the right place today. You're in a good spot. I want to butter you up a little bit because the scripture we're gonna tackle is I'm not gonna lie to you, it's a little bit challenging and difficult. So uh, me, me, and my wife, and by that I really just mean my wife had a baby, and uh, little Levi, and he hasn't been around much, and they've been around much, but I just wanted to show you that. Now you can't get mad at me at anything I say in here, because I showed you him. And so that's, that's LJ, and him smiling, and he, he, gave us, he gave us five, six, he gave us like five and a half hours straight recently. And all the parents say, come on, that's how we know Jesus is real, right there, because babies begin to sleep like normal humans, and so... Reading really, it's been really fun having three. Uh, we're tired, but we're very blessed and we're very excited. We are in week number seven. That's right, you heard that right. Week number seven of a, of a series called Heaven on Earth, where we've just been unpacking kind of chunk by chunk, if you will. Not necessarily verse by verse, but definitely chunk by chunk, all of the different uh, scripture of the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you are a Christian, you've probably been through this stuff before. If not, this is some of Jesus' famous, most famous words. Um, it's his manifesto. Many people, not even Christians only, but like many people have chosen to live a life that is just surrendered underneath really this teaching. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and Gandhi, these people heard the words of Jesus and were literally moved in such a way, especially the Sermon on the Mount, that they began to live their life uh, very differently. Today we find ourselves in kind of the second last spot there. And so we're going to be on page, I think it's 788 in the Bible in front of you. We'll have it up on the screens in Matthew 7, starting in verse 15. But before we do that, I just want to let you know, before we get into that, there's a couple of things. I want to kind of preface this chunk of scripture. It's, if, if you read your Bible, this is one of those scriptures you kind of read and you're like, yeah, I don't need that right now. I'm just going to flip. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to find something that's a little more encouraging. Because it, it can find, uh, there can be some tension within it. Even myself this morning, I, I, I recognize the irony of a pastor who wants to teach on false teaching and false prophets, because that's where we find ourselves in. That's where Jesus lends himself. It's kind of funny, right? It's like parents in here, whenever you're telling your kids to not do something you definitely did all the time as a kid, you know what I'm saying? Even like, how old were you, mom, when you got married? It doesn't matter. We won't need to talk about that right now. It's kind of like that. Like, there's just a bit of, like, funny tension here, and I, I recognize that. I see the irony in it. I absolutely do. But I want to preface by saying this, because when you hear that term false prophet or false teaching, every single one of us carries a unique bias, depending on maybe our church background or upbringing, and that's triggering something or not, that's bringing up feelings or not, or you're just like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Just get into it already, okay, pastor? But before we do that, I just have to say, today's teaching is not to alarm anyone. I'm not trying to hurry or create fear. That would be, I think, wrong. God's word brings peace. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. Amen. And so that's not the point today, not to alarm anyone. It's not about creating an action plan to call out those false teachers. I would say and argue, and I'll get into it in a minute, that that is 
unbiblical. And so I just want you to know that the goal today is to simply see what Jesus is saying, which is this. He has a simple warning to help believers follow him and nobody else. That's what it's about. That's the, that's the, the general essence of what he's saying is, listen, you're going to see for many years, all the time, you're going to know that there's false teachers, false prophets, false even messiahs, he later says in Matthew 24. And he's going to say that. And you're going to see it today. And, and, and for us this morning, I want you to know, he's simply stating this. It's this. It's a simple warning to help believers follow Jesus, follow Christ with all we have and nobody else. You following me this morning so far? I just want to preface with that. With that in mind, let's jump to page 788 or Matthew 7, verse 15, if you brought your own Bible, or just follow along with me. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Verse 18, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do you see why I showed you pictures of LJ this morning? Okay, because it's a bit like, you know what I mean? It, it carries some weight. It definitely carries some weight. I, let's go from the very top and kind of work our way down. Watch out for false Prophets. False prophet is this kind of Greek word, this pseudo, it's pseudo prophetess, which is really just fake or phony or pretend or imposter. Um, I like that word phony. I don't know why. I think it's because it's like an old school burn. Like, you phony. <laughs> in today's world, it's like, what? What are you saying? But it's an interesting concept. And in this culture, and by this culture, I mean what Jesus is speaking to, the people he's with, in this time, in this context, Often you would have someone, a prophet or a messenger, come into town. You're just minding your own business. You're picking up groceries. You're dropping the kids off at whatever. I don't know. I don't, I'm making jokes. But you understand. You're walking in, and, and, and someone would come in on donkey, and they would come with a message from God. They'd call you in, and they'd show you the sorcery and tricks and all these things. Again, I'm throwing lots of words that have different connotations, but they would kind of show you this big ordeal why to bring you in and to then share a message now for us we don't see that nearly as much it's not our context but it's not that there's any less men or women claiming to have a message from god today it's just the way the message comes radio youtube podcasts books blogs audiobooks whatever it is social media posts insta videos etc Jesus is saying something very interesting here. He says, watch out for false prophets. Notice he does not say, um, speak out against false prophets. Do you notice that? He's saying, be aware, be mindful of, take caution, take heed. He's not saying, go and attack, go and get into debate. In fact, even in Peter, like we read that we should always build a case for the faith that we have, but he's not actually saying go out and exclaim and, and shout down and point at. Later in Matthew 24, he says, watch out. Acts 20, again, take care of your flock. Be careful. We think it's our job to point the finger and post. And honestly, friends, like, it's frustrating. I do not believe it's our, it's our biblical mandate to go and push and, and point. I think it's actually unbiblical. Jesus talks about conflict resolution in Matthew 18. He breaks it down so well. And we think it's our job to post this and post that and create a YouTube channel just to tear someone down. Whoa, did we not just read love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you? 
And so again, we have to take this chunk in context with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So I'll just be mindful of that. He says, watch out, be careful, realize, understand, look, see. But again, in this context, in our context, it's, it's there, friends. I'm not saying it's not. And then he goes on to say something somewhat alarming. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. I smiled when I read that first time. If you saw me, you're like, what a weirdo. It's because there's another version that says ravenous wolves. And I just, I don't know, made me laugh. My bad. Sorry. It just did. So what you see on the outside, what you see on the outside looks normal, but inwardly, it's not so normal. It may look good, it may look right, it may feel good, it may feel right, but hold on, hold on, Jesus is saying, inwardly, there's something wrong there. There's, there's actually, it's going to produce bad fruit on the inside, something is different. I'll never forget this moment, I know I've shared this story, um, I'll never forget this moment when I was in Crimea, we were doing uh, mission work with just different partners there, and I'll never forget, like, I'm a picky eater, okay? I don't like certain things, and I especially don't like two things. I've never liked borscht. Can I, yeah, I feel, like I feel like most of the room agrees with me in Jesus' name. Wow. And I've never liked dill. Dill is the worst thing you can put on anything. Can I just, if you're Ukrainian here, I love you. If you have like, dill is in many dishes. You're awesome. You're wonderful. I just personally, it's not my favorite spice. Or is it a spice? What is it? Herb. Thank you in Jesus' name. False teaching. Thank you for rebuking me. That's great. <laughs> it's not my favorite. I just don't like it. I don't know why. It's just, it's never been something that is been nummy on my tongue. I apologize. I was raised this way. And I remember coming down, and, and most mornings I didn't really eat much, because again, I'm a picky eater, not their fault, my fault. And I remember coming down at most mornings and kind of eating, but not really, and enjoying it, not really, whatever it is. And one morning I came down to what was this beautiful crepe, a wonderful crepe with whipped cream on top. And I thought, Jesus, is this you, that you would bless me? Because I'd been eating Snickers bars and drinking orange pop for about a week. And uh, I was so excited. I was so excited. And uh, you know that moment when you're so hungry and you're so excited, you just cut and put in the mouth. Like you're not thinking, you're not looking. And what I thought was a beautiful crepe and whipped cream turned out to be a beef and dill burrito with sour cream. You know? It's good. It's good. Like just, you know, it was not good for me. It's funny, most of the team ate it and loved it. Some of you in here are like, I'd take a beef burrito right now. Come on, somebody. On the outside, it looked like one thing. On the inside, it was very different. What I thought it was going to taste like and look like and be like was not what it tasted like and looked like and was. It can be really simple, right? It can be something so small. It can look everything. It can be packaged the right way. And in fact, it's, it's very much not the case. I think this is the case for if you're a Christian, if you're seeking, if you're not a Christian and you just got dragged here this morning from a family member, whatever it may be, there's a lot of Christian language that sounds accurate. There's a lot of Christian terminology and things we say that sounds right and appropriate and theological and, and like sound doctrine when in fact it's not. Um, I'll just pick one to, and let's just unpack it so we have a better idea. And I, I'm kind of picking on the young adults because I've been preaching this and saying this at the six again and again. I keep hearing this thought or this phrase, have grace for yourself. It comes up a lot in literature, I see in books, I see it on Instagram posts, I see it on all sorts of things. And if you've said that to yourself, or you've said that, or you've reposted it, I'm not here to, again, point the finger, I just want to point out what I see. Even I myself have thought this and said this to myself. But what's interesting about this statement is it sounds right, right? It sounds like, I get what we're trying to say. Be mindful, like, like don't be so hard on yourself. 
don't point, like, stop creating more shame in yourself. I get that. Be kind. Be nice. Like, I understand that. Yet, here's the thing. Our sin, when we, when we, when we sin against the Lord, we, we sense that. We know it. We feel it. And God isn't asking us to just be nice to ourselves. He calls us to repentance. Because my grace is not enough for me. I can't save myself. I need a savior. I can try and wash this clean all I want, and yet the fact of the matter is, I am a sinner saved by grace. When Jesus talks to Paul, he doesn't say, your grace is enough, all you need is you, you have enough strength to do this. He says, my grace is enough. In your weakness, I will be made strong. You need me, Paul, you need me. And I'm saying to you here, we don't have enough grace for ourselves. We need the grace of God that is wonderful and it's everlasting and as far as east to the west, he wants to break down and take care of your iniquity. He loves you enough that his saving grace covers a multitude of sins, all of the sins of this room. You don't have what it takes, he does. And I know that sounds heavy and hard, but that's the truth. And I see this again and again, have grace for yourself. And I'm telling you, it's an empty cycle where you begin to make yourself your savior and it doesn't end well. And you still come up wanting more and feeling empty. Some of you in this room feel like you've tried to fix yourself and it doesn't work. And now you find yourself here looking for something when really it's a someone who will give you the answers you need. Are you following me this morning? I heard it said this way recently. I, was, I don't know if I was listening or reading to something, but this person said, a false prophet has the same vocabulary but a different dictionary. I thought that was really powerful. Same terms, same words. You're hearing it thrown around, but very different definitions. I think this is the important part. This is important to recognize, to realize, to, to look out for. It sounds right. It may look right. It feels right. But deep down, it may not be. And that's what he's saying. Be careful. Watch for this. What you see on the outside may not be what you see on the inside. What does the fruit look like? Let's read that part again. By their fruit, you will recognize them. This is verse 16. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit. What's he saying here? What is fruit? What does he mean? What he's saying is you are what you are. Where you're rooted, what you're planted in will determine how and what you produce. It's very simple. It's a basic metaphor. There's lots of like reaping, sowing, reaping, and, and, and fruit and different things like this. Gardening is often, is often used by Jesus in metaphor. The difficulty with that is not what he's saying. It's simple to understand what he's saying. Good fruit comes from, you know, good tree, etc. What's hard here is he doesn't find what is good. He doesn't give us the definition of here's everything that's good. Follow all of these things. Here's everything that's bad, don't go towards these things. That would be simple, right? Like rules for children. It's like, do this, Bo, don't do this. Okay, I'm going to do this, right? Like, he's actually crushing it lately. I just a quick report. Bo is like the best child right now ever in Jesus' name. Just want, I often make fun of, he's doing great. Love me some Bo, man. And we read this and we, we have a difficult time because we hear one preacher say, no, no, you're called to be wealthy and affluent and rich and that's God's plan for you to always be happy. And then we hear another preacher say, you're called to sell all your possessions and give to the poor and, and that's a good life and this is a good life. And so we honestly are stuck wrestling, asking well, who's right and what's good, what's bad. I understand the tension. I do understand it. So who is right? What is good? Who defines? Who decides? Friends, if you are a believer in the house, Jesus does. This seems like a simple answer, but again, this is an important moment to understand. He defines morality. He gives us the right and the wrong. He shows us love like 
sacrifice humility, and he shows us what pride and ego and heaviness looks like. If you're not a Christian in here, can I encourage you to ask yourself this question? For you, who defines morality? In your worldview, who, who gets to decide what is right and what is wrong? Is it just you? Is it your, your subjective pers- personal experiences? Is it, well, I just know, I sense it, it's in me. And I would say, yeah, me too, but I feel like I get that from the Holy Spirit because with the moral law has to have a moral law giver, as one theologian put it. And so you have to answer the question, where does good and bad come from, right and wrong, love and hate? Who defines, who decides? As a believer, we know it's Jesus, amen? It's Jesus. If you're ever uncertain, get to the Gospels. Read for yourself. See what Jesus has to say. And then ask a pastor or a friend or someone you trust, discuss. Ask for direction. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, this is the next kind of chunk there. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I want to read to you another uh, another version of this. It's a commentary written by Eugene Peterson. He says this, Knowing the correct password, saying master, master for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my Father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. Master, we bashed the demons. Our, spiritual, our super spiritual projects had everyone talking. And you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. <sighs> Thanks a lot, Eugene. <laughs> like, that's heavy, isn't it? But man, I hope it took, takes your breath away a little bit because it took mine this week. Master, we preached your message as I'm preparing to preach your message. It's a heavy chunk of scripture. It's not lost on me, church. I understand that. But skipping over it won't help us, Right? If we key in on a few, I would say, key pieces here, it's not that it's a heavy chunk of scripture. In fact, Jesus gives us what we're kind of looking for. He kind of actually alludes to the answers that I think lots of us are asking. Because in this moment, we like to focus in on what he says, demons and, and perform many miracles and prophecy. We, we, we sit there, we, 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 we get stuck up on, on what's he saying? Is this salvation plus works? Is that what he's getting at? Many people would say this is the where it ends the debate if Jesus ever called himself the Messiah. He says, Lord, Lord. He references to himself. When in fact, that's not what he's getting at. It's not the goal of this chunk of the scripture. Remember, this is a small chunk within the Sermon on the Mount. He's referencing, he's talking about something more important. He's actually getting to the heart of the issue. He actually gives us answers. He says, not everyone will enter, but, this is important, you should be underlining this in your Bible, the ones who do the will of my Father in heaven. So he actually shows us what he's looking for. He gives us an idea. He's saying, not everyone, but trust me, there will be people, and it's the people who do the will of my Father. Perfect, Jesus. What's that? Right? Like, we're all like, what what do you mean? What are you referencing? Well, let me jump to John 6, verse 40. It says this. For my Father's will is 
Like, he gives us the answers in this. If we read this enough, he, he, he does share. Another version will say, like, the will of my Father is. Like, just simply stated, that everyone who looks to the Son, it's capital Son, that he's referencing himself, and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. What does the Father's will mean? It means two things, really simply. That everyone should look to Jesus. Everyone should believe in Jesus. That's the Father's will. What do you want me to do, God? What are you asking of me? Look to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Look to him for his life. Look to him for his teaching. Look for him for direction. Ask him how he wants you to be, uh, how he wants your marriage to be. Ask him how he wants you to guide your career. Ask him how he wants you to be as a dad or as a mom or whatever. Ask him. Look to him for his teaching. Look to him for how to be a human in the world right now. And what else? Believe in Jesus. Why? For relationship that leads to life to the full here and everlasting life after here. That's it. We overcomplicate it so much. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to make sure I have this in my pocket. I need to serve this many Sundays. And he's like, no, 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 no. Just do the will of my Father. Well, what is it? Look to me and believe in me. Well, don't you, isn't, isn't it about career and the cause I should fight for? No, no, no. That's after we look to him and believe in him. This chunk of scripture, it's not about salvation. It's not really necessarily about miracles and signs and wonders, although it is an interesting thing, and you can read it later again, Matthew 24, I believe, where he talks about being able to do signs and wonders and not actually knowing him. It's, it's a wild concept that we don't have time for right now. But to assume this is all about signs and wonders and false teaching is actually taking the context wrong. Jesus is pointing at something bigger. This whole sermon, the Sermon on the Mount and you're going to hear about it next week. Like He talks about the wise builder, and we heard about it from Pastor Andy multiple times. Friends, it's about your heart. It's about your motivation. It's about intentionality. It's about what's going on in here. It's about God saying, listen, I want what's on the inside, then on the outside. You don't need to try and show me all the great things you're doing, because I know what's actually going on inside of you. It's about your motivation and how he wants to be it. He wants to be your motivation. Not church, not this, not a pastor, not a friend. Jesus wants to be the center. We sing it already. His love for you, your love for him, that bond, that relationship, it's what he's after. He's saying it doesn't, it's not really about what you do, although that comes next. That is important, and we'll, he, he will reference that. But first, he says, do you know me? That is what got to be the most chilling thing at the end there, isn't it? Going back. Then I will tell them plainly, four words, I never knew you. It's interesting, you may know God, but the question we should ask is, does God know me? We may know God, we may know him here, we may know him here, we may know that this plus this equals this, that his grace is enough, that I should read my Bible when I wake up during breakfast. We may know God, but does God know us? Do you let him in? Do you do as the psalmist says, and you say, search me, O Lord. Know my every anxious thought. Man, that's what he's getting at. This word know, this word know, really, really is important because he's not talking about a head knowledge. Right? 
He's talking about something deeper. It's this Greek word, gonosko. And he's talking about, he's describing an experiential heart that is undertaken like deep knowledge and understanding. That's what he's referencing. It's a heart relationship. In John's gospel, he actually says, to come and know his divine messianic dignity. That's how he describes this Greek word in John's gospel. To come to know and understand his divine messianic dignity. Friends, that is the invitation this morning. That's the invitation here as I close. Come and know that Jesus is good and true and knows what's right for you. Come and know that he loves you and he sees you. Friends, stop. Let's not, let, let's not just be Christians who know God in our head, but he knows us and we know him in the heart. Know God that he may know you. I find this idea of knowing just extremely compelling as I was prepping, as I was thinking, as I was just honestly just, I don't know, praying and thinking about just what it means to know someone, truly know someone. Have you ever looked at someone and just been completely known by them, right? I love movies. It's like, what's that great monologue Robin Williams does in Goodwill Hunting? You never know, you never know what it actually feels like to, to see your wife or know someone and to be completely vulnerable, right? You see it in movies, you see it in pop culture, you see it in the songs they're singing. It's about being known. The heart of every human is to be completely and utterly known, to be seen, to be accepted, to be affirmed, to be loved. That's what he's talking about. He said, I never knew you. Man, that scares me. And for us, we live in this hyper-connected world and yet loneliness skyrockets. I'd almost say don't do the studies because they just go on and on. And I was even thinking about this, this community, this crowd, this service. Adults, 45 and up, over a third of them are lonely to the point of anxiety, depression, and suicide with any medication. Third. 65 and up. 65 and up. Over half feel socially isolated. Socially just isolated. It's strange that we would be so connected, that universally we could be so interconnected and yet feel so lonely. I think it was my grandpa used to say, he would say, knowing Psalm 23 doesn't mean you know the shepherd. Man, there is a level of human connection and, and, and spiritual connection that you need, friends. You absolutely need. And Jesus is saying, I don't want him to say I never knew you. I want him to know me. I want to be vulnerable. I want to open up. I want to share. I want to talk. I want to pray. I want to pray the prayers that, where I cry and ask for help. I want to pray the prayers where, God, I need you now. I want, to, I want him to know me. I want to know him. I want to have such a deep connection where other things begin to not matter as much. I had a, one last story as we close. I got a call this week. Actually, someone else got a call, and it got put to me, and it was just this person who last week heard a sermon and really wanted to lift their hand and come to Jesus, and, but just didn't. And then this whole week, it was just kind of bothering them and just kind of at their heart that they just had to call the church and had to talk to someone. was like, I just, I have to give my life to Jesus. And as we talked and we conversed more and more, it was clear to me that it wasn't that she hadn't accepted Jesus. 
she hadn't committed to a knowing relationship. She hadn't committed to saying like, I want to know you each and every day. I want to know you more than I know anything else. I want you to know me more than anything else. I just want to be in relationship, continual relationship with Christ. And so that's what we prayed for. That's what she committed to. That's where we stood for. That's what we went after. Because listen, I think there's practical steps out of this scripture. I do. I think there's important things. Be aware of false prophets, but not afraid. We serve a God who is so much greater. Be mindful, be watchful, consider the things that you see and, 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 be, and be, be aware, but not afraid. Like Lord said, we have a God who fights for us, right? Secondly, for a season, maybe stick to the gospels in prayer. I remember um, when Pastor Ron retired, he gave like a bunch of us so many books. And I just thought, look at me. I have all these books. I have G.K. Chesterton and I have F.W. Borum and I have all these, look at this stuff. I'm gonna be the most theological 20 year old you've ever seen. And, and it got to my head where I stopped reading the word and I started reading Keller more. Maybe for you, you need to just put that book aside. By the way, there's a lot of great resources. For some of you, you're actually coming into a season of that. Maybe for you, just for a month, for two weeks, put it aside get to the Gospels and read the words of Jesus. Maybe just this month, maybe for the next 20 days, 10 days, you just read the Sermon on the Mount every morning. But thirdly and most importantly, seek to know Jesus and let him know you. Amen? Seek to know Christ above all. And open up yourself in a way where he and you feel like you're connecting. Everywhere we look, you know, even when Jesus is saying, warning us about false teachers, he's trying to say, look, look no further. You don't need to look anywhere else, but right here. Would you stand so I can pray over us? And I just want to respond today. I just want to respond today where we would just posture ourselves in a way that says, God, I'm committing to, to knowing you. Accepting you, yes, but to, to know you, to strive to know you. How many people know in here, just because you get married doesn't mean you, you're in relationship. Like you need to get after it. You need to strive for it. You need to be romantic. You need to be brave. You need to, all those pieces as parents, as friends, like it takes effort. I was just talking to a couple of gentlemen after the first service and we talked about how we, we know each other, but we don't, we don't connect. We're not getting in, we don't know each other. And here's that opportunity just to say, God, I'm tired of knowing you up here. I want to know you here. I'm tired of saying the things and singing the songs and tithing the thing, but I want to know you more. Those are all good, but there's something greater here. Actually, before I pray, I, I've been so, I've been so taken back by our lead pastor in the last few months. I don't know if you noticed this, but just when Andy preaches and talks about knowing Christ, he just instantly starts crying. Have you noticed this? I think he had a granddaughter. Let's give him a break, okay? No. But because I see it in him and he's in this place where like, when he preaches Philippians 3, that everything is a loss in comparison to knowing Christ above all. So then I get taken back and then I start crying because I just had a baby and there's a lot of emotion that happens at staff meeting. knowing Christ and letting him know you. That's what he's getting at here. A lot of teaching is going to tell you to do this and say that and do this. And Jesus is saying, hold on. Because not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, knows me. 
then let's know him. Amen? Let's get to know Jesus like we never have before. Let's commit to a week, get into a small group, whatever you got to do. Talk to someone at the next step table. Ask them how they do it. Come, look for prayer. Find a way to know Christ, that he would know you, that you would understand him, and he would understand you, that you would have a deeper, greater relationship, heart relationship with God who loves you, who sees you, who wants to affirm you today in Jesus' mighty name. Heavenly Father, I pray over this church right now, our church, this place. And God, I ask for that person who feels very alone, for that person who feels far from you, who maybe has put themselves in a position. They didn't realize it, but they put themselves in a position to be at arm's length with a God who just wants to hug them and embrace them. I pray in Jesus' name that we would seek to know you, Lord, that you would put in us this week, today, even now, a hunger and thirst to better know you above all else. God, I do pray for the, the false teaching that maybe we've taken or seen or heard. I pray against it, Lord. I pray that we would be centered around your goodness and your gospel, that we would not um, add to or water down the gospel, but we would just trust it as it is because it is truth and a foundation for us. But God, I pray for more of us to want to know you in such a way that it inspires and encourages our city, it inspires our neighbors, our schools, our marriages, our families, our friends, our workplaces, that things would, around us would change because we've met the one person who can truly change us from the inside out. That is our heart this morning. That is our prayer. And like your word says, Lord, search me and know me. Search me, God. You know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead us, Lord, as a church in the way everlasting. We look to you. We love you and we need you. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, come on, everybody said, let's worship God. Let's sing to him.